Well, good morning, Thrive Church. How are we doing this morning? That was real footage. I was at the beach last week on vacation. They caught real footage from me on a surfboard. Why are you laughing? It's good to have you guys with us today. If you have your copy of God's Word, turn to John chapter 3. Um, we're in a series called GOAT, and during this month we've been looking at what are the attributes that God considers for the people that are greatest of all time. And then the world has attributes they consider which are the greatest of all time. And today we're going to look at a very important attribute which is totally overlooked in our society. Um, I need a, some honest people here today in church. How many of you got on the bandwagon of the, of the singing shows that started back in 2010 or so, like The Voice, America's Got Talent, American Idol? Did anybody jump on that bandwagon and watch those shows? Good. Some of you are honest. The rest of you are lying because you're embarrassed. But my wife and I got on board with that and watched that for several years. I'll never forget one time they had this guy come up there, and he could not sing a—I mean, not at all, like— I'm not talking about it was just tone deaf. He literally could not sing at all. And when he gets done, my favorite guy was Simon, right? Because Simon always said what everybody was thinking. Like, you're thinking it, and then he says it. And um, he asked the guy how he got into singing. He said, my mom always told me I was good at singing. Word of advice to all of us. If moms will tell you you're always good at everything, don't believe her. He said, well, what do you do for a living? He said, well, I'm an artist. He says, well, can I tell you something? Your mom lied to you. <laughs> this guy was great at art, but wanted to be a singer, but was terrible at singing. There's one thing that he did that we all do as well, too. Maybe you're not on The Voice or American Idol or America's Got Talent, but we all fall into the same trap of not loving the life that God's given us and loving how he's created us. And who we're going to look at today is a guy named John, John the Baptist, who actually embraced that. It was beautiful what he did. And I want to give you the backdrop of John the Baptist because many of us don't understand the significance of John the Baptist. Think about this. For 400 years, Israel had nothing happen. Like all through the Old Testament, you had all these prophets, all these things happening. And then for 400 years, this silence. No prophets. There's no books being written. Malachi was the last one. And then who comes on the scene is this guy named John the Baptist, who we believe to be Jesus' cousin. And he comes on the scene, and he is, and I say this with respect to the Scriptures, he was a rock star in that day and time. And here's what I mean by that. People traveled to hear John preach. John was preaching a message that the Jews had not quite heard this way before. He was preaching repentance and water baptism, or you'd be cut off at the root. Now, for Jews, they're born Jews. They don't be baptized as Jews. They don't like, you know, like get baptized. Gentiles, non-Jews got baptized. Jews didn't get baptized. And it's this really, you know, message of repentance. It's really awkward message to them of like, hey, you need to do these things. Like nobody's ever told us this, but people were doing it. They were getting baptized and they were repenting. And John had, well, he had long dreadlocks. He didn't cut his hair. He lived out in the woods. Man, he wore animal skins. He ate crickets. I mean, he was this anomaly of a preacher. Even the Jewish leaders, check this out, had to go check out what was going on. They rode about three days just to get there to hear this guy preach. John had crowds around him. And then what happens is John's there one day preaching, preaching this one message. He had one message. It's called repent. That's what he did you know, on repeat all the time. And one day Jesus shows up, and as he's coming, he says, oh, let's stop. stop, stop. He says, behold, here's the Lamb of God 
who would take away the sin of the entire world. Jesus steps into the, the River Jordan, and John baptizes him. Then it says, Behold, I saw a dove descend on him from heaven. And then out of the heavens as it parted, a voice said, This is my beloved Son, who I'm well pleased. And John had the opportunity and privilege to baptize Jesus. And Jesus was baptized, not because he needed to repent, but he was an example for us. Now, as it goes on, Jesus starts his ministry. Now, something happens, though, that we often overlook in this exchange here, in the relationship between John and Jesus. And I want you to look at John chapter 3, starting in verse 26, of what happens. It says, So John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan, the one you identified as the Messiah, is also baptizing people. And everybody is going to him instead of coming to us. I mean, John's disciples were worried. Their ministry was shrinking. Jesus' ministry was, was growing. They were used to seeing crowds coming. The crowds weren't coming anymore. And then, could you imagine them going to John? And, and they're probably expecting John to have a different response. But what John says here is probably one of the most profound statements in all of Scripture. And he says this, no one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. When you're mad at somebody else's success and you think you were passed up on something, John says, I wasn't passed up. God hasn't overlooked me. Jesus has what God is giving him, and I have what God has given me. Then he goes on to say this. He says, you yourselves know how plainly I told you I'm not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for for him. I guess they missed that, that lesson, right? Because I think deep down inside, John was the most popular prophet probably since Elijah in the land. And some of them were probably thinking, hey, I think he might be the Messiah. He, 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 he might be the one. I know he's told us he's not, but he's just being humble. Maybe he's the one. Then John goes on to explain his role. He said, it is the bridegroom who marries the bride. And the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. John is losing influence. John is losing disciples. John is losing followers. The crowds he's preaching to is shrinking. And how, what's John's response to that? This is how it's supposed to be. This is not my lane. This is not what I'm called to. I'm not the Messiah. My role of how I've been created is to prepare the way for him. That's my assignment. And John shows us something. He shows us an attribute that God greatly, greatly desires in all of us, and it's called humility. Our world doesn't look highly at humility. It wants revenge. It wants power. It wants to win, but rarely is humility ever, ever shown in our society. Is it ever celebrated in our society? And what John shows us about humility is something super important I want you to write down. If you have your notes, jot this down today, because this is the crux of what John experienced and what we should too, and it's this. True humility is loving your lane. True humility is loving your lane. See, we all have a lane in life. God's given us this lane. He's created us a certain way. And it's for us to love the lane that God has given us. John's lane was just the preparer for the Messiah, not the Messiah. 
He wasn't upset about it. He wasn't, didn't have a rub with God. Like, man, you know, you could have chosen me and you didn't. He loved his lane. I, my fear so many times in, in our world, we don't love the lane that God's given us. We despise the job we have. We despise the family situation. We despise everything. And we complain and we complain and we complain about our lane. But no matter how hard it is, no matter how tough it is, God chose you for that. God has called you to do that, and that's your lane. But friends, understand something. We fight against this in our world today. Every time you pick up your, your mobile device, your iPad, your computer, your phone, whatever, you are just bombarded with what the world calls successful. And see, God views it a different way. See, see, uh, here's what it is. God... Uh, views it differently. Like, like he views success one way, we view it another. See, the world is enamored with the flamboyant while God empowers the faithful. Let's explain that for you, unpack that. The world is enamored with the stage and the lights and the people who are popular, the flamboyant of life. And God's not moved by that. Like, like we think celebrities are the ones we should be taking our cues from. That's the last people on earth you should take your cues from. Their whole lives, they, they, they act like there are other people on stage for you. <laughs> and we're like, yeah, I'm going to believe that about God because, because Lady Gaga said so. Oh, yeah, I'm going to believe this about this because I'm going to vote this way. This person said, and we just believe everything celebrities tell us, everything. And we say, man, if I could just be that one day, then I've made it. When God empowers the faithful, God looks at people who are faithful to his call who may never be in the spotlight. Matter of fact, when I was in the Dominican Republic, this scripture here really hit me. Like there's times you know scripture, right, and you've heard it, and there's times it really just hits you in your heart. And it got me because I was visiting an orphanage, and not like any other orphanage, but there were children who were severely handicapped. To the play, their bodies were contorted. They couldn't walk. They couldn't use their limbs. They couldn't speak. They just made noises. They were also mentally retarded. And there were ladies there taking care of these kids as we were walking through. And I watched these ladies. They weren't complaining. They weren't angry at God. They were serving these children like they were serving Jesus himself. And I watched them serve these children with the joy and the happiness that I usually don't give when I have tasks like that. And that was their calling. They'll never be on TV. They'll never be in a magazine. There'll never be articles about them. You'll never know their name on earth. But in heaven, they're going to be popular and famous in God's eyes and great in God's eyes. They were faithful to what God had called them to do, to take care of, what, of children that no one wanted who were left by dumpsters to die. And that's what, that's what God values. See, we love the flamboyant. We love the stage. We love the glitz. We love the attention. And God says, none of that matters to me. There are going to be people in heaven you meet, and God's going to say, hey, hey, let's just take a pause break in heaven. Are you all having fun? But I want to introduce to some people to you. And you'll say, I never even knew they existed because they were faithful. See, when I launched my first church and I planted my first church, I was, you know, about 12 years younger. So I was 30 years old. I was entering ministry. And can I just be honest with you? I was, I, and, and it's kind of like consumed Christianity today, and it's kind of sickening, this idea of we're all going to be great. Let's just all be, greatness is in you. And I believed greatness. So like I was some type of like narcissistic guy that God was going to use me to do great things for the kingdom. 
I was going to write books and travel to the nations, speak to thousands of people. That, that was like my vision of what I needed to do to serve God. I was going to plant this church in Florida, and people from everywhere, well, I'm going to speak an English accent, I don't know, but people from everywhere were going to show up, <laughs> and they were going to listen to me. It was going to be packed every week because I was going to be great for the kingdom. And I went down there and got my tail kicked. I had a guy tell me one time, he pulled me aside after service. He said, you're the most unanointed person I've ever met in my life. You should not be in ministry. Church did not grow much. Nobody bought my books. And can I tell you, when I came to Virginia, I remember the Lord confronted me with this sick idea that I'm going to be great. And God said, can you just be faithful? Can you just love the lane I've given you? Can you be okay? We had 20 people in this sanctuary is all we had. He said, can you be okay with 20 people that were mostly senior citizens who loved me to death, and I loved them? And I said, you know what? Yes, God, I can. My fear is that so many of us, when we don't live with this type of humility, what's going to happen is we're going to live outside of our God-given abilities. When you don't have that humility like John had to say, hey, Lord, you've given me a lane, and this is what I'm called to do, and this is what I'm good at. This is not what, what I'm not good at. If we don't do that, you're going to live outside of your God-given ability. I had a guy one time tell me this. He said, Pastor, you just don't understand. He said, when I get on stage and preach, I'm in my element. He said, man, I feel so good when I preach. It's my calling. And I sat there, and I didn't say this to him. I did not have, I, you, you know, you had those. I, I said, nobody else feels that way. <laughs> Like, seriously, people would come to me and say, hey, if, when's he speaking again? I was like, I don't know. Well, just, just tell me when's I, I don't want to come. <laughs> that's, the, that's the brutal reality of ministry. He loved it. Nobody else did because he wouldn't accept his God-given ability. He was enamored with the spotlights and the fame and, and all of those things, but not being faithful. And if you get in that mindset, you're going to live outside of your God-given ability. Listen, love yourself. One of our biggest issues in our society, we just don't love ourselves. Some of us look in the mirror and we hate the way we look. We hate the job we have. We hate everything about it. We, we just don't love ourselves. And Jesus said this. He said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. We don't truly just love who we are and how God's created us. See, God has created you with limitations. Contrary to popular belief, I know I'm, I'm the opposite of some of these pop preachers. You can't do anything you want to do in life. It's just quiet here today. You can't. God's created you with giftings and limitations. Here's how I know that. At nine years old, my dad had a really serious conversation with me. He sat me down because I, I just wanted to be in the NBA and I didn't want to study. So I practiced basketball for hours and hours and hours. I would hang from, from like, you know, the, the, the top of the door to try to grow. I was told that green beans and spinach would make you grow, so I ate green beans and spinach. Like, I wanted to be in the NBA. My dad sat me down, and I wouldn't study. He said, I need to have a conversation with you, son. Me and my dad are math guys. He says, this many people are in the world. In the NBA right now, there are, there are roughly 315 players. He said, in EuroLeague, there's this many players. In college, there's this many players. There's as many players on, on earth. He says, you have less than a 0.0.0. He showed me 1% chance of ever getting there. He says, and due to your size, you have less than that. He says, love the game of basketball, but I need you to get there and study because that's, that's your lot in life. 
What if my dad would have told me, son, don't you worry about science. You just, you can do anything you want to do. You can be anything you want to be if you just put your mind to it and speak it. Guys, I'd be broke today, <laughs> right? Here's what I've had to understand in my life. God has given us grace a measure of grace. You are great at certain things. You are gifted at things. Every one of you have been created special by our Father. And one of the special things that God's created with is boundaries and, ability, and, and limited abilities. Matter of fact, in Acts 17, 26, it's a very encouraging scripture. It says, from one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand in this, this should also give you some calm. Some of you are so politically like just, ah, the world's going under. Look what happened. He decided beforehand when they should rise and when they should fall. That's crazy. And he determined their boundaries. God's like, yeah, before this is the boundary. And you know, for you and I, God's done the same thing for us. We have ceilings. We have genetic limitations, even how much we can grow and lift and be strong. God created us that way. The problem is we don't love how God has created us, so we are, we're always dreaming of being or doing something what somebody else does instead of what God's called us to do. And that's where we get in trouble at, guys. That's when we get outside of our God-given abilities. Let me just give you an example. So, for example, I, I, I'm what you call an, like an Enneagram 3. If you do the Enneagram, if, if you're on disc, I'm a D, okay? I'm a type A personality. I am driven. I am to the point. I want to be efficient. I want to make sure we have the most, that's what I am. Like everything, and everything in life. I just want the most efficient ever. Let's do it as quick as possible. I'm good at that. Can I tell you what I'm really, really, really bad at? Conflict management. I am. I'm horrible at it. And I realize this about myself lately because as a pastor, you feel like sometimes you've got to do everything, right? You're the pastor, so the pastor has to be good at everything. I'm not. I'm terrible at some things. I'm not good at conflict management because I'm the type of guy, if people are having, having it out and they're you know, upset with each other, here's my thinking. It's not right. Just bear with me. Here's my thinking. Here's what I say. Get in a room. You're grown adults. Figure it out. You're not, I did middle school and high school ministry. I, I work with teenagers. You're not teens anymore. Get in there and figure it out. Oh, you want some, some marital counseling? The Bible says husbands sacrificed your life just like Christ climbed up on the cloth and sacrificed for the church. You're being a baby. Wife, quit nagging and criticizing them and show them some respect even though he hasn't got there yet. Maybe he feels beat down. Good marriage counseling, go home. I'll, I'll see y'all next month. Figure it out. Read the Bible. Obey Jesus. I mean, if you do that, you'll be okay. That's not good. It's funny, but it's not good. It's terrible. That's like horrible. That's not how you help people, right? So here's what I've learned in the past year. On our staff, I'm not the one who can do everything. Matter of fact, when it comes to conflict management, one of the guys we have that's amazing at it is Keith Rao. Keith is patient. He's detailed. And he's not there to get quick fixes and quick progress. He's there the long haul to deal with something. Keith will deal with conflict for months and walk people through it slowly. And I'm tired just watching him go through it. And he's fine. That's not my God-given ability, guys. And as the pastor, if I step in to handle things and do things and get involved in everything, I'm going to mess this church up. 
There are certain things I'm really good at. There are certain things I'm terrible at. I need to stick to what I'm good at. There's a limitation on me. And here's what we all have to do once you understand that. I want you to write this down. Embrace your place. That's what I'm doing. Embrace your place. I'm not saying don't try to better yourself by going to school. I'm not saying don't try to better yourself in life. But embrace who you are. Embrace what you're good at. Embrace what you're not good at. Because God has created us with limitations in the body of Christ so we can feed off each other. I need Keith Rao. I need somebody like Brian Seymour who's just nice and patient and talk to you for hours. And he's just like, you ain't got a thing going on in the world. He is just there with you. He's, a great, he's just great with people. I need these people around me. I could go on and on about all of our staff, how they like compliment. But I got to embrace my place, and I would encourage you to embrace yours. Matter of fact, Paul wrote this to the church at Rome. He was speaking to them about spiritual gifts, and he opens up this passage in Romans 12, 3, and it's kind of weird what he says here. He says, because of this privilege and authority God has given me, not the weird part, he was the apostle, so he had a privilege and authority. He says, I give each of you this warning. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't read warning labels often, right? I tear them off. I tear the tags off. Do you guys do the same thing? I'm the only one that tear tag. Good. The rest of y'all are heathens, man. But Paul gives a warning. I wouldn't tear the because when the Bible says I give you a warning, it's important. Here he says this. He says, don't think you are better than you really are. Don't overestimate your ability because that will contradict humility. He says this, be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. Know what, know what you're good at. Know what you're terrible at. Know the areas you've got to improve in. And he says this, measuring yourselves, I love this, love this, by the faith that God has given us. And he gives you an example. He says, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special, special function, so it is with Christ's body. And this is us. If you're a follower of Jesus, we're all part of Christ's body. And he says this here. He says, and we are many parts of one body, and we, are, we all belong to each other. And this is the most beautiful part. I want you to really narrow it down. He says, in His grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. God has gifted you to do certain things well. You need to learn to see the gold inside of yourself. So many of us don't see that. All we see are the negative parts of ourselves. And it tears us up. God has gifted you. God has, the Creator has graced you with certain things that you are good at. And a lot of times we look at the parts of the body that don't seem to matter the most. And we kind of shun that. And then we want the parts we think are important. Can I tell you at Thrive Church, I'm going to tell you what is first important and what is most important. Now, well, first is the first thing you come in contact with. Most is what I believe the most important ministry at Thrive Church. It's children's ministry. I'm going to be honest with you. I know the worship team just got mad, and they're, they're speaking in tongues under their breath, cussing at me. I know first impressions got mad. I know, I know everybody's got mad. I'm mad at because he's not even preaching. Children are the most vulnerable. They need to be safe. They're the most impressionable. They need to be taught truth and cared for. And they need people who will give them attention, not babysit them. Because that is, listen, their experience there today will determine whether or not when they get older they want to stay in church or one day come back to church. 
That's the most important. But watch me now. You know what the first important ministry, though, at Thrive is? It's first impressions. The parking lot. People, this is studies have been done. People will make a decision on the church they will attend within three minutes of their visit. Before they ever get to kids' check-in, where they get to kids' check-in, before they ever come and sit and hear music and preaching, how they were treated in the parking lot, how they were hosted at the host tent, how they were greeted, how they were signed in at kids' ministry, three minutes. They've now made their decision, I'm going to come back here or not. That's the first. And a lot of times guys are like, I ain't working in the parking lot. Give me parking lot duty. That's for losers, man. No, 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 no. That's the first impression at Thrive Church. That's the first people that they meet at Thrive Church. And I had a couple one time stop and tell us, they said, man, I've never, I was stopped and was greeted in the parking lot by somebody. I've never had that happen before. Because see, the things that we think aren't important are important. We're part of the body of Christ. Right now, you have security people standing around protecting you while we're doing this, who you may never know and you may never see. Do you think they're important? Amen? We, we all, all have parts of the body that we're all different, but we're all gifted in grace. So what do you do? Embrace your place. Embrace what God has called you to do. Now, how do you do it? There, there's three things that's helped me out and some things I've learned from, from John in studying these scriptures here. The first thing you have to do is destroy the comparison trap. You'll never embrace your place if you're always comparing yourself to someone else. And we live in this world called social media. We live in this world that's always, we, we, we put on, we're seeing everybody else's highlights, everybody else's smiling faces, everybody else's marriages, everybody else's kids. And mentally, you don't mean to do it, but you're comparing yourself to them. You see those flowers, that husband got his wife, and you're thinking, well, I ain't got no flowers. I wish I had flowers given to me. You don't know what he did wrong. So, you know, you don't know why he's giving them flowers. <laughs> but we're always comparing ourselves to that. And that will cause you to not embrace your place or love the lane that God's given you. You'll think, well, I'm not good at anything. I'm not like him. Since I'm not like him or her, then I must not be good at anything when God has actually gifted you and graced you with things. For instance, this happens in the local church a lot with pastors. I work with pastors, and it's what we call ecclesiastical porn, all right? Church porn. It's like you're lusting after what other churches are doing. There's pastors who are like looking at these churches, these big name brands. They're saying, whoo, if I could just have that, mm, if I had that many people, oh, man, I want that so bad. And they're not embracing the place God's given them, and they're not content. They'll give to me and say, I'm depressed, I'm discouraged, and I want to quit. You know what I tell them? Just be faithful, man. Why can't you enjoy the people that are showing up? Why, why, why do you think that you're not any good because you don't have as many people as somebody else has? Destroy that comparison trap. And at Thrive Church, can I tell you, I'm not comparing this to anything else. I'm embracing the lane that God's given us here. And our mission at Thrive is different than other churches. We're going to invest in our community, and we're going to give money and resources to other churches in this community. I know that sounds weird, but it's true. Do you realize something? I'm not your shepherd. Take a deep breath. Go, That's scary. You've heard that your whole life. Jesus is your shepherd. I'm just a sheepdog. I'm kind of rounding you all up and make sure you don't go astray. Jesus, if you go to another church, I don't lose. Listen, churches can't steal sheep because you ain't mine to begin with. Does that make sense? 
Like, 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 like for me, if, if someone goes to another church, someone goes, I'm not the shepherd. But so many times people view it that way because they're comparing themselves and competing with other churches. What I've learned to do is just to do this, realize we're all part of the same kingdom. And I can't compare myself to another church or to another pastor. I've got to learn to love me and love what God's doing here. And you've got to do the same thing. The second thing that you've got to do is get better instead of getting bitter. I say this a lot because I want to drill it into your psyche. Get better, don't get bitter. And what I say that, because when you look at, at, at social media or you're around other people at a job, when you see them get the promotion, it's usually easy to get bitter because you got passed up. But why can't God do that for me? What's wrong with me? John didn't have that mindset, did he? His disciples wanted him to compare himself to Jesus. He said, no, 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 no. A man can have nothing unless heaven give it to him. And then he gets to a place, he didn't get bitter. He didn't go off and pout because Jesus' ministry was growing and some of his disciples were leaving and following Jesus. John just kept doing the ministry that God had called him to do. He got better. He didn't get bitter because he knew what God had called him to do. I know you feel passed up with some things in life. I know you're probably wondering why your friend from high school started that business and now they're doing great financially and you're still struggling. You're wondering, God, why didn't you do it for me? Can I tell you something? I don't have the answer for you, but I do know this. God has blessed you, and God has gifted you, and God has graced you, and God has given you a lane. Learn to love your lane. And then finally this morning, I know this is cliche. And I'll tell you why it's cliche. I'm not, I mean, there's preachers who say cliche stuff and don't know it. I, I know it. But give it your best and let God do the rest. Now, 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 why did I say it that way? It sounds a, a little bit like Dr. Seuss because you won't forget it. But you know, you know why I share this with you? Because I tell this to my son all the time. When he gets upset with something he's doing, it's not good enough. He's upset with the Lego thing he built, wants to destroy it and rebuild it again. I tell him, I say, son, give it your best. You gave your best to it. Let God do the rest with it. I think so many times, you know, you're the hardest person. On, the hardest person on you is you, Right? If you're like, if you, I don't know if you're like me, but I mean, I beat myself up all the time. Even when I've given it my best. In life, can I encourage you? Just give it your best. Do the best you can do at your job. Do the best you can do at parenting. Do the best you can do in being a spouse. You're going to fail. You're going to mess up. You have limitations. You are who you are. But let God handle the rest of all that other stuff. Don't put so much pressure on yourself. Because when you do that, the enemy wants you to look at somebody else's lane and say, man, if I only had that lane. Maybe you're not the Messiah, praise God. Maybe you're like John, you're there to prepare the way. What is it for you? Where is it that you're discontent in life when you shouldn't be discontent? Where is it that you feel restless when you shouldn't feel restless? Where is it that you feel that hole in your soul and you're like, ah, oh, if I just had this, then I would feel this. And God's up there going, I've given you everything you need for everything you have to accomplish. I want to encourage somebody today before we close. You need to learn as you leave here to love yourself as God loves you. To accept yourself as God has, has made you and created you. Stop beating yourself up and learn to love the lane that God has given you. 
Learn to love the boundaries that God has given you. And when you do that, you're going to find contentment, and then you will tap into what God sees as the greatest attribute, which is humility. Humility. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we ask you, help us, God. We are just surrounded by a society that tells us that we need more, that we're not enough. We're surrounded by filters. We're surrounded by airbrushed models, Lord. We're surrounded by people's highlights, God. And many of us on the inside are feeling defeated. We're feeling discouraged. We feel like failures when we're not. You had determined the boundaries. And you have blessed us greatly. Help us to see how much you have blessed each one of us. Help us to see the gold inside of us that you have placed in us by way of the Holy Spirit with gifts and graces. I pray for every person in here, God, that they would walk with the same humility that, that John the Baptist walked with. And help me do that, God, as the pastor of this church. Help me, Lord, to always love the lane you've given me and to be thankful for that, God, and to worship you in that in glad obedience. God, we love you and we thank you for gifting us and gracing us. Just give us your eyes to see what you see, God. And as we're praying today, church, in here and for those online that are watching, this morning I want to give you the opportunity that if you've never given your life to Christ, today is your day to give your life to Christ, to surrender to Him. That's your next step. Some of you believe in Jesus, but you've never surrendered to follow Him, to surrender your life to Him. This is your day. And right where you're at, whether you're in here physically with me today or whether you're watching online, I want you right where you're at, if you want to give your life to Jesus, to pray this prayer after me, make this confession of faith. And it's simple. You say, God, I need you. I need a Savior. I need Jesus. Today, I believe that Jesus died on the cross I believe he rose again on the third day to wash away my sins. I believe Jesus is Lord. Today I make Jesus my Lord. I repent. I turn from my old life. I ask you to forgive all of my sins. Today, God, thank you for making me a new creation. Thank you for giving me your Holy Spirit. Thank you for this new life. Lord, help me to love the lane that you've given me and to live out a life of humility. In Jesus' name, amen.